0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs.
1: The format for the meeting, as most of you likely know, we have about 25 to 30 minutes for each of our components. Uh, 25 minutes for the presentation to start, then about 30 minutes for the lunch And then following at 1 o'clock, we reconvene for a chance for some questions and answers with our speaker, and we'll finish about 1.30. And indeed, I'm, I'm going to encourage you after you've heard the talk while we're eating to have a conversation about what some of the questions and issues might be for you. So at this moment, let me turn with great pleasure to our speaker and introduce him. He is my colleague at the university, Dr. Tom Johnson. This talk on farmers markets and local food production, is it a growing trend, I have to admit, started sort of some germination, at least in terms of the sackpaw side, after a visit to the farmer mar- farmers market last summer uh, by my husband and myself, and we saw Tom sitting there collecting some data On what was going on in the Lethbridge Farmers Market, and then talking to Tom about what he was doing, and I was very intrigued. And so I'm very much looking forward to what you have to say, Tom, today, uh, in regards to to see if you give us a little hint about some of the things you found out in that survey uh, last summer. So, Tom is a professor in the Department, associate professor in the Department of Geography at the University. He has degrees from Guelph and Waterloo. Uh, in addition to being interested in local food systems, he has a number of ongoing research projects, uh, a number of which address issue water issues and, uh, uh, in the province, so things like the adoption of drought-proofing strategies by farmers and rural households, the voluntary adoption of programming related to environmentally sympathetic rural land use, uh, the efficacy of community-level water management initiatives, and the use of water-conserving measures by irrigation farmers. All of which, reading today, on this rainy day, reading through those things, this is one of those moments in Lethbridge you think, oh, but we all know, right? We could have all this rain today and by June 15th be into two and a half months of of drought. Uh, So... Lots of important local concerns there that Tom's research addresses. So, Tom, I'm going to turn it over to you at this point, and I would th- hope you will all welcome uh, join me in welcoming Dr. Tom Johnson to talk about. Local there we
2: go. Thanks very much, Muriel. Can you hear me? All right, at the back. Terrific. Just, just move it up with it. Ah, there we go. Thank you. Um, perhaps Muriel and I got our uh, wires crossed. I'm actually not going to talk to you uh, in, in any great length about uh, about my findings, but rather uh, provide you with some some background uh, to this work on local food systems and local food production. Uh, I can share with you some of the findings from the survey in the question period, although I don't have um, lots of fancy uh, graphs and, power and, uh, and other uh, uh, items to show you on that. Perhaps a little bit just to share with you how I got involved in this. Um, Muriel let the cat out of the bag, indicating that I hold degrees from the universities of Guelph and, and Waterloo. I generally tell my students that I come from a province east of here, uh, and let them try to figure it out by way of an accent, which I understand has a little bit of the Ottawa Valley in it uh, from from my mother. Uh, but I uh, grew up on the northern outskirts of uh, what is now um, Toronto, what was then metropolitan Toronto, what is now Toronto. Uh, my family uh, emigrated uh, to that region in the 1830s, uh, and I was the first of my generation not born born. Uh, apart from my great-great-grandfather, not born on that particular farm. Nevertheless, I became really interested in in, in agriculture. I uh, worked for um, local dairy farmers throughout high school. And over uh, my summers as a university student, I worked on a local market garden, uh, starting uh, picking vegetables on my knees and, and then uh, gradually graduated to... Uh, uh, doing field work, uh, I spent several summers doing irrigation on the farm. And I also had an opportunity to deliver the produce uh, into, into the city to various locations. And so I was uh, part and, 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 uh, and, and parcel of a regional uh, food system. I then carried that work on and uh, did uh, topics for my master's and Ph.D. related to that and I moved away from that, that area for a number of years, and now I'm coming back. So maybe the circle is going to be closing, and then I can retire and start my own market garden. <laughs> so here's the presentation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to set the context for you. Uh, I'm going to define for you the attributes of local, far- local food systems. Uh, I'm going to overview some of the uh, recent trends, uh, in North America from a couple of studies and very briefly talk about uh, what, I, what I call the underlying sum of the underlying circumstances, focusing on what we know about the motivations of, of producers as well as some of the motivations of consumers. And then uh, the meat of the uh, presentation will revolve around uh, addressing three questions. And I hope in talking about these questions that this will stimulate uh, some discussion. Uh, amongst yourselves and then perhaps later. Uh, and you can see the uh, the questions are listed here. Just how local is locally produced food? Uh, is this a uh, growing trend? And it is a growing trend. Uh, simply one more example of branding. Is this just an example of, uh, you know, Nike and Be Like Mike? Uh, selling their shoes, not having anything to do with the quality of the shoes and what they do, but uh, you can be like Michael Jordan who's a geographer, by the way. <laughs> uh, and then finally, what is the future uh, of the so-called local food movement? So let's start here. This is a very simple model <coughs> of... Hi, uh, can that screen be moved? Yeah, no. I'm not sure that it can. You know? Okay, I uh, just What really matters here is the core of this model. Don't worry about the stuff on the periphery that you can't read. Uh, what we have here is an agri-food system, a uh, very simple uh, config- uh, conceptualization of a system that begins with agricultural inputs, production at the, at the, at the farm level, then we have processing, distribution, and, and consumption. In local food systems, uh, these two middle parts, processing and distribution, are often bypassed. And so what we have here is really a shortened supply chain. Okay, one, of the re- one of the problems with uh, local food systems uh, is actually defining them. Defining these systems as shortened supply chains gets around some of the definitional problems. Okay, you don't need to worry about the one on the, on the, on the right. Here are some examples of uh, shortened supply chains. We have examples of face-to-face, farmer's markets. so I'm going to be talking a little bit about today. Farm shops, pick-your-own operations, home delivery. Then we have proximate shortened supply chains. How many of you have been to the Tabor Corn Fest? That's an example. Thematic routes. maybe gone to the Okanagan Valley and done the wine trail uh, or something like that. Uh, Local shops and, and restaurants. Not something that uh, our local producers have been able to infiltrate here in Lethbridge. We have far too many industrial restaurants where costs of inputs are critical. But if you go up to Calgary, you can uh, go to the the uh, fancy restaurant on Princess Island or the Palliser or out to the Banff Banff Springs, and you can have a salad uh, made with uh, produce that was grown just out on Broxburn Roxburn Road, uh, and is marketed uh, as such. So here's an example. This is a farm shop. Some of you may have been here. This is Harvest Haven uh, out uh, in the rural urban fringe um, of, uh, of of Lethbridge. Uh, these folks sell products not only from their own operation, but products they bring in, uh, actually at great great distance in some in some cases, which raises a really interesting. Uh, debate over the trade-off between organic production and your your uh, carbon food print in terms of the d- the transportation costs uh, a matter of great discussion. Here's an example of a thematic route. You ever been in Napa Valley? You can take the Napa Valley Wine Train. Very very nice. Starts in Napa, goes up the valley. You get off at a couple of couple of wineries. Uh, you can sample the products. Uh, and have a nice meal, and then uh, back to Napa, and you know not have to worry about driving while you're sampling the wines. The, um, on the model that I showed the three columns and the three boxes, the final box was called extended. And this is where uh, the supply chain is shortened as a result of direct-to-public sales, often over the Internet, with products being sent to you uh, overnight uh, through um, a courier service. So if you have a hankering for Colville Bay oysters, you can get on the Internet, you can order them, they'll send them to you uh, frozen, and you can enjoy them uh, the next day. We do this fairly regularly with uh, Montreal smoked meat uh, from some places in in, in, uh, Montreal. Okay, moving on. How important is the local procurement of food? Well, it's a relatively small part of the sector, but it is growing at a remarkable pace. About 10 years ago, the fastest-growing segment of the food industry was the organic segment, and I would suggest now that probably one of the fastest-growing segments in percentage growth terms is the local procurement of food. So here's some research that was done by the uh, United States Department of Agriculture, and there are a couple of points here. Uh, direct-to-consumer sales in um, uh, 2007 um, were, in the 10 years ending, uh, 2000, and were 1.2 billion, and that was up from uh, 500 million uh, about 10 years earlier. The number of uh, farmers' markets uh, increased by uh, over 3,000%, 3,500% in uh, a fairly short period of time. This is something interesting. 14% of school districts have adopted farm to school purchase programs. You know, Jamie Oliver, you know, has made a bit of a name for himself about this kind of thing, well, This is being taken up in the United States as well. Well, Canada, not terribly surprising, uh, is following some of the same sorts of trends. Um, this was a study done for uh, Farmers Markets Canada, done in 2008. They visited uh, 70 farmers markets in all, uh, all of the 10 provinces. They surveyed over 3,000 shoppers, just under 500 vendors and so on and so forth and they concluded that with 28 million shopper visits and they, those people spent about uh, about a billion dollars in sales and the economic spin-off the multiplier effect if you will was uh, about 3 billion dollars in total so non-trivial uh, uh, amounts of money so Let's look at some of the underlying circumstances. Let's look at some of the things that motivate consumers. Well, we're increasingly concerned about our carbon consumption. Perhaps not some in the coal lobby in the United States, but generally speaking, I think most people are at least aware of the carbon consumption. We see that reflected in uh, falling sales of large vehicles, uh, for example, it's become uh, popular to talk about the, the 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 carbon food print. What are the costs of transporting the food to your to your plate? Well, the dirty little secret is the cost of the fuel that that is taken up. By, or the fuel uh, taken up by transporting uh, products pales in comparison with the energy used to produce commodities. It is less than, okay, I should, if I remember correctly, it's less than 5% of the total. When you look at the total carbon footprint of that tomato, that might have come from Mexico or California or Arizona on your plate. The cost of getting it to market pales in comparison with the energy that was used to produce it. So this is probably something that, obviously something that needs more research. But we're all concerned about the uh, use of agricultural chemicals of various sorts, uh, fatal harvest, the tragedy of industrial uh, agriculture and certainly in our study, concerns over pesticide use came out very, very prominently amongst uh, our respondents. People are are becoming increasingly concerned with the conditions under which uh, critters are raised. Uh, so much so that egg producers now will tell you that uh, you know your eggs come from free run chickens. Well, these are free run chickens, right? Uh, they don't come from chickens that are stuck in a cage. They don't come from free-range chickens, which are a completely different critter. They don't come from pasture-fed chickens. They come from chickens that are uh, produced in barns uh, such as this at, at, very high, at very high densities. So there's a cost to, in terms of animal welfare to that cheap and cheerful chicken that you get at Safeway for under 4 bucks. People are increasingly concerned about the quality of food. You might have seen the, the movie Supersize Me. And certainly, there is some evidence to suggest that as we have produced uh, certainly fruits and vegetables uh, designed for shelf life and transportability, we have sacrificed nutritional content of those commodities. And finally, embedded in one of the values that we see embedded in the local food movement is around, it's around families and around family farms. good friend of mine, I grew up with him at home, uh, stepped out on his own, and the first thing he did was rename his farm, the Collins Family Farm. It was no longer Jay Collins & Sons Limited, a highly industrialized farming operation. Okay, let's look at the motivations of, of producers. Well, for the economically-oriented producers... Uh, Selling into local markets or or some other alternative forms of production, organic, sustainable production, it's a farm survival strategy. It's a strategy born out of uh, of falling margins. The the, uh, gradual erosion of the rate of profit per unit area in production or per unit of production over time. Most farmers are price takers. Uh, and if you want to get off that treadmill, then one way to do that is to sell into niche markets and uh, sell into a premium uh, at a premium price. These folks would be just as likely to engage in uh, bed and breakfasts or off farm work. It's it's a it's a way for the farm to survive. There are those producers who are ethically oriented. Their concerns are driven. By things like animal welfare, um, uh, one uh, one rancher uh, who I know in uh, in uh, east in Western uh, Saskatchewan, his cattle are all grass fed. It's organic, organically uh, certified operation. But he doesn't calve out in uh, in January and February like like many cow calf operators do, and that's not just because he doesn't want to go out looking for critters in January and February. It's because he calves out in May when the little critters come out, things are nice. But it also means that the critters have to spend two more summers on grass. So his costs of production are much higher. Uh, He has to recoup those costs of production somehow. And so he uh, does that by selling into niche markets. And then we can't ignore the fact that some people... Uh, if there are any farmers in the crowd you may you may um, uh, may appreciate the, the term recreational tillage something that lots of farmers like to do um, and there are those people who are drawn to this uh, system of production as a result of very light various lifestyle uh, considerations uh, We know that um, uh, in fact, farming is not an economically rational decision in the first place. (laughs) Most farmers would make more money by, by selling, paying off their debts and putting their money in a Canada savings bond over time, even taking into account capital appreciation. Okay, on to my three questions. Just how local is locally produced food? Is the growing popularity of locally produced food really a turn towards quality? Or is it simply another example of branding and product differentiation? And third, what is the likely future? Well, I'm going to tell you the answer to the first question is your locally produced food is not quite as local as you probably think it is. And I'm going to tell you a story to illustrate this. The salad basket, the salad bowl of southern Ontario is located about an hour's drive north of Toronto in a part of the province called the Holland Marsh. I'm not going to give you the geography and the geology behind it, But here you can see a picture at the bottom. Those are carrots being grown in the Holland Marsh. Take a look at this picture. Think that John Deere tractor was manufactured anywhere close to Ontario? Yeah, in the Ohio Valley. It wasn't sourced locally. The irrigation pipe, that's a solid set irrigation system. Uh, They're produced in Nebraska, Oklahoma, and California. So imported at great distance. The labor much of the labor used in uh, this type of uh, agriculture is not local labor. It's imported uh, often from uh, foreign sources through the Canadian government foreign, uh, temporary foreign worker program. In fact, one of the producers in our region within a half an hour drive here relies on that program uh, as well. So the point that I'm trying to make is, when we when we when we take a, a full cost accounting, I'm sounding like an economist here, a full cost accounting framework, of locally produced food, is not quite as local as it might be. Now, do I have time? Quickly, very quickly. It may not also be as economic or as environmentally sound. Have you ever wondered why you can buy New Zealand beef in the summer in the grocery store at a cost that is competitive to new, to beef that's produced in Picture Butte and processed in, in High River? It's because the costs of production are so low. The the, the energy inputs into a pastoral system are so low compared with our high-energy, high-fossil fuel system that they that this commodity can can withstand being transported over great, great distances and being sold competitively. So their grass doesn't grow as fast in the wintertime. That's our summertime. We're all barbecuing. They reduce their stocking rates, sell into our market, and, and sell a product that is quite competitive. Okay, second question. Is a growing popularity really a turn towards quality? Well, these two commodities are the poster children for the local food movement. Iceberg lettuce doesn't taste much like lettuce to me. Uh, nutritional uh, quality has been uh, has been uh, 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 reduced in favor of transportability and life and uh, and shelf life. Ask me during the uh, question period about the 13 mile an hour tomato. Uh, we don't call it a 13 mile an hour tomato when we market it. We don't even call it a machine harvested tomato. We call it a field grown tomato. Doesn't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy? You know, it's it's like calling the tar sands the oil sands. All of a sudden, it's no longer a problem. We just change the name of it, and it's no longer a problem. Well, I don't know about you folks. Three minutes, perfect. I don't know about you folks. But I think these tomatoes, which are heritage, heirloom tomatoes, actually taste like tomatoes. They taste like the tomatoes that uh, I try to grow in my backyard and can do once every 10 years. Um, But they actually taste a bit like tomatoes. So in some ways, this might be a turn towards quality. But let's take a look at this picture. This is here we have the If It Ain't Alberta, It Ain't Beef campaign, one of the most successful beef marketing campaigns in the world. And at, here we have the three ranchers. This, is, this campaign has been replaced, by the way. And what, does, what the images and the ideas that are, that are embedded in this picture. It's natural. It's grass-fed. It's clean. It's green. And this is how they're fed. They're brought to market weight on grain. Uh, a feed that, that they, they weren't built genetically uh, to consume. Uh, and it, and the, the images just don't don't stack up. We have the idea. We have the reality. On the bottom, I'm sorry you couldn't see that, I've got two pictures of salmon here. Now, if I go to Nova Scotia, I'm not going to go into a restaurant and local, lo, order local salmon because all the local salmon in Nova Scotia is farmed. And Now this may come down to a matter of taste, but I would uh, suggest that you most people can taste the difference between wild and farmed salmon and that uh, for many people the taste of the farms uh, the, the wild salmon is superior. So going to Nova Scotia and, and eating local salmon, I would argue, and this gets into the area of values and taste, I suppose, I would argue, is not necessarily a turn towards quality. Okay. I'm going to skip over here because I'm going to answer the last question because I've got a couple of minutes left. But just touching on this, what do I think of the future? Well, I think the future of local food is going to go the same way as um, sustainable production, as um, organic I've never been to a Walmart store. I'm probably the only person you've ever met, maybe. But it is a matter of choice. It's a political decision on my part. But I understand Walmart sells organic stuff. Well, of course, the NDPers wouldn't be there, would they? I understand, I understand that that, orga- that Walmart sells organic stuff. I also read on a blog the other day, don't know if this is true or not, and I'd ask somebody to verify for me, that Walmart is also going local. Now, you re- you may remember a couple of years ago when Walmart got into the grocery business in Canada and Loblaws got scared. So what did they do? Well, first of all, they trotted out the fact that they were Canadian. You know, Canadian flags over every Loblaws store you can think of. That didn't really work. Then Galen Weston, who's the executive chairman of Loblaws Companies Limited, trotted out the Um, grown close to home campaign. Started in 2008, 2011 is going to be the fourth year. On their website, you can actually click on their farmers. You can find out their histories, their families. They have uh, relationships with these growers going back over 40 years, they say. So just with organic production, in my view, if there's money to be made, the local food movement will be appropriated by large blocks of capital by the retail chains and the agri-food business and if you don't believe me this is Unilever very large company uh, kind of like Royal Dutch Shell uh, based in the Netherlands and in, um, uh, and in um, the UK and they have a local food campaign now I'm just going to go here I have a short.
0: Looks like a typical Canadian family dinner. But do you know how much of it is actually Canadian? After we watch this, we we'll be... We may think of ourselves as being totally self-sufficient. Well, think again. We import more than 53% of our vegetables and almost all of our fruit. In 40 years, red meat imports have gone up 600%. In fact, in a 15-year period, our food imports rose 160% while our population rose only 15%. In 2004, Alberta imported over $170 million worth of fresh vegetables. Their exports, 400000 Even Ontario, with some of Canada's best farmland, imports $4 billion worth of produce more than it exports. And we don't just bring in exotic fruit or things we can't grow here. We're talking about cucumbers, tomatoes, peppers. For every apple we export, we import about five. For pears, it's one out at 700 in. In 2007, Nova Scotia produced half as many blueberries as it did just four years earlier. If this continues, we may lose the ability to produce many of the foods we eat. This impacts far more than your dinner. It impacts our economy, our environment, and our neighborhoods. How? Well, for starters, many of our small family farms struggle to stay afloat, while many of our grocery dollars end up in other countries. So are cheap imports really worth it? While much of our farmland is protected on paper, it's disappearing at an alarming rate. In the second half of the 20th century, central Ontario paved over 49% of its prime farmland to accommodate the expansion of the greater Toronto area. The Kitchener-Waterloo area is surrounded by fertile farmland, yet the average distance traveled by 58 imported foods commonly eaten in Waterloo is 4,497 kilometers. Where does our food come from? This so-called fresh food can take days or even weeks to get to us and can lose nutritional value on the way. Local food can be on our plates in hours. Fruits and vegetables are picked for their flavor, not their ability to withstand the rigors of international travel. Shouldn't we be producing more of our fresh food here at home and importing only when necessary? Let's help our farmers grow more of the foods we eat here in Canada. How? Choose Canadian whenever and wherever possible. If you want to eat more Canadian food, you have to start looking for it, asking for it, and filling your bag with it. Enjoying fresh local food can be easy. Start at eatrealeatlocal.ca
2: One thing that you might not have seen down in the lower left-hand corner was the logo for Hellman's mayonnaise. I rest my case. Thank you.